0: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. And thank you for tuning in again today. With the Lord's help, we would like to finish Psalm 17. I have to be honest with you, I've learned so much in Psalm 17 from the Word of God. Uh, the Lord has been my helper, and as I've studied these words, and by the way, the words of God are important. We need to know the words of God. Listen, context is a lot. There's a lot to context, but the context will be wrong if you get the words wrong. you get the words right, the context will be right. And I hear a lot of people talk about context, 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 but yet the word of God is important. The words of God are important. And we've learned this in Psalm 17. When you put these words together and we see the chapter fall together, we realize the context and then we realize what God is trying to say through this song. First Corinthians 2 says this in verse 9, but is it written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. And so we know in verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why men argue about the words of God. What does God really say? And that's why translation is greatly important in this day. We must have an accurate translation. By the way, a little hint to some of you, we do have an accurate translation. It's the King James Bible. Thank the Lord for that. Amen and amen. Uh, but yet, men do they argue about translation. Why? Because the words of God are invaluable. And then when the words of God are taught in the word of God, those things speak to us that are saved by the grace of God, by the spirit of God. These things are spiritually discerned. And so the Lord has taught us greatly out of Psalm 17. There's things that we've learned in Psalm 17 that I'll take the rest of my life Looking at Psalms and identifying things in the Psalms, and God can minister to me through those Psalms by the words we learned just in this one chapter. In verse 13, he says, arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. That's the lion. Deliver my soul from the wicked. So again, we see the oppressor, the wicked. And then he said this, he said, which is thy sword? So he tells us the wicked often are the sword of God. They do the judgment of God. They do the destruction of God. And God uses the wicked, yet they're still wicked. And that's a marvelous verse in its complexities and its understanding. Yet we see judgment at the hand of God in wars. We see judgment at the hand of God in oppression. We see judgment. God raises up princes. God raises up principalities, God raises up men in authority, and yet they are the judgment of a nation or the judgment of a people in their wickedness. They're the sword of God. He said, "From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life.'" And so he tells us who these men are, yet they're the sword of God. And I see oftentimes, it seems like judgment is brought upon a city, even in America and and an election will take place, and they elect a leader, and that leader absolutely defiles and destroys uh, that city. It turns that city into a cesspool of crime, a cesspool of sin. Murders abound. Wickedness abounds. I know here in the state of Pennsylvania, I read again this morning, uh, there was a murder again in York. Well, our governor happens to be from the city of York, and yet York has been absolutely defiled by sin, York is a vile place, yet there's people in York that love God. There's people in York that love the Lord. There are places in York that are tremendous places to visit. Some of the finest hospitals in America are in the city of York, Pennsylvania. But crime abounds on every hand. Why? God raised up men that were his hand, and they ruled that city, and they pulled back on crime, got soft on crime, put policies in place that were social programs, and the na- that city has fallen under the judgment of God. And so we see these are the hand of the Lord, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, the psalmist says, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And so going back to Messianic Psalms. When he awakes, when he's resurrected, when he comes out of the grave, he's going to be satisfied with the face of God. He's going to be satisfied with his likeness. He's going to be satisfied to see him as he is. So again, we've looked at this psalm through the eyes of the prophet. David in this case, and we've looked at it messianic, we've looked at it as an application to us because it is applicable to us today, yet as a psalm of Messiah. Let me go through this verse by verse, we'll just touch a couple points, we'll be done with Psalm 17. Thank you all for your patience in this, I pray it's been a help, I pray it's been a learning experience for you. I've not wanted to gloss over those last four verses, I just didn't have a lot of depth in them. And so I wasn't trying to gloss over them. I just didn't have the deep things of God in them. And it it's kind of a summary of what God has given us through the whole psalm. So I would like to use that to summarize this psalm. Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Again, there's that cry of Jesus Christ. And the difference between a cry and, and, and a speech and a saying and, and all those things in the words of God but there is a difference. Calling and crying are different. Weeping is different than crying. The word of God uses each word in an application, and it means something in the place where it is. That cry is audible. Even in the morning and noon, when I pray, and what? Cry aloud. It's desperation. The cry of Israel came up before the Lord in Egypt land because of the oppression. So again, crying, the words of God, the word of God. That goeth not out of feigned lips. This is not false. This is real. This is desperation. There's nothing fake about this. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. God is just. God is is just in all his ways. Uh, God does not respect persons. God is holy. And we can't understand that. We can't comprehend that in our finite thing. Why? Because we're unjust and our ways are not just. And we are respecters of persons and we consider persons for advantage. But yet God doesn't operate that way. Thou has proved mine heart. Oh, that God would prove our heart. And by the way, that word prove that we talked about that has tremendous connotation. There's a difference between proving the heart and searching the heart and trying the heart. Yet God does all three of those things. And each one of those things has its own place in the word of God by the words of God. And if you lump them all together, my friend, you will not get the doctrine that God has for you. I didn't want to really interject this, but I feel like I need to at this point. I listened to the radio recently and I listened to a man describe Uh, a, a passage of scripture, and he had two things absolutely wrong in that passage. He equated the way of a serpent, the way of the eagle, the way of the ship, the way of a man with a maid, and he equated that to a path, and he couldn't get off of that path. And so he kept talking about the the path of the serpent, uh, the snake upon the rock, the path of the ship upon the sea, and everything was the, the path, everything was the direction, everything was where that ship was going, where that eagle was going, where that man was going with that mate, missing what the way is. He did misunderstood why, because he'd taken a definition that fit what he was looking for most likely and plugged it into path. And so now way became path In a way. A path is part of a way, but it's not the way. God's ways are above our ways. That's not God's paths. Yet when you take that word out of context and you misdefine it and you misrepresent it, it changes the meaning of the entire passage of scripture. And to be honest with you, I was grieved listening. And I said, dear Lord, my paths are not my ways. My ways are not my paths. My paths are where my feet go. My ways are where my body, my mind, my soul, my heart, all of those things are in a way, not in a path. But anyway, and so it's important what the words of God, I'm not trying to rebuke or reprove or correct that. It was just a grief to me. I'm thinking, oh, my soul, sir, if you just had understanding of the word of God, if you would just believe what God is saying, Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me. There's that word again, and shall find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Again, that's a different than his ways. That's the paths of the destroyer. It's where your feet go. It's the place that you deliberately put your feet, for he tells in verse five. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. And so the paths are the places we walk, and that's spiritually and physically. He says, I have called upon thee. And again, when he calls upon the name of the Lord, and you run that through the Psalms, you'll see Jesus Christ so often. Why? He's calling that one in whom he's believed. It's a call of faith. For thou wilt hear me. There's the faith, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand. That's the strength of God. That's the power of God. Them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. And so we're looking for the right hand of God to be our deliverance, looking for the right hand of the Almighty to deliver us in a day of oppression. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Oh, how precious that is. How wonderful that is. The fruit of his eye, the sweetness of his eye, the treasure of his eye. Why, it's the apple of his eye in the person of Jesus Christ. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. And that God would protect us, God would shelter us, God would hide us where under the shadow of his wings. The protection, as Jesus Christ even told Jerusalem, that as a brood, and then in the other place he said, as chicks, that they would come unto him and come under his protection and come under his safety from the wicked that oppress me. And so many times we see that word oppression being used in our King James Bible. What does oppression mean? What does oppression do? Those of us who have been oppressed, we understand oppression. The wicked oppressing the saints of God, the, the rich oppressing the poor, those in power oppressing those that are subject to them. And he said, For the wicked that oppress me, for my deadly enemies who compass me about. Again, that strong word, to circle about, but with a purpose. And not just to circle about, but there's a path that's laid. There's an intent that goes before. Why are we circling the children of Israel at Jericho? They're compassed about the city. Why, they're going to destroy the city. We saw the faith of Jesus Christ. The bulls of Bashan have compassed him about. The dogs have compassed him about. His archers have compassed him about. The sorrows of hell compassed him about. The sorrows of death compassed him about. We saw Jesus Christ. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth, that false humility, that false show of humility and humbling themselves like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. And we talked about that strong one, that destroyer, the lion. We talked about the destruction of the lion. Walking about seeking whom he may devour. That's why he told us to be sober and to be vigilant. What is sober? It's not just not drunken. But can I say it on this wise? It's not drunken in all thy ways. We're not consumed with pleasure in any aspect of our lives. The rather sobriety. Uh, of, of knowing Jesus Christ, the sobriety of what we see, the sobriety of our life, that we would be sober in all of our ways, not filled with pleasure, not let pleasure blind us, not let the affairs of life blind us. No man that warth entangled himself in the affairs of this life, but to be sober and to be vigilant. What is that vigilant? I like these fire companies, Vigilance Hose Company, Vigilance Fire Station. You know why? Because they're watching, they're looking. Uh, growing up in the, in the in the Midwest for several years, and of course my family being Westerners and Midwesterners, uh, we understand a little bit more than maybe East Coast folks of the old fire stations, the old fire lookouts. And by the way, some of them today are still manned by human beings. What do they do? They go on the fire tower. And they look for smoke, and they look for tails, and especially in the dry times, in the lightning seasons, and they're watching, why, because the destruction of fire, what is that? It's vigilance. They're ever watching, ever looking, ever concerned about what's going on around them. And he said, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who is he going to devour? Those that are not vigilant those that aren't watching, those that are not looking, those that are caught up in pleasure and not being sober. And so again, he compares this to the lion. He says, as it were, a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Why? He's going to deliver the righteous from the mouth of the lion. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure, they are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to babes. Can I say this? God can give by the hand of man. God can remove by the hand of man. Given it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall man give in to your bosom. But God can also remove by the hand of man. How is that? Taxation, not just taxation, although it is just, it is taxation. Fees, rental, usury, and all of a sudden everything that we had is gone. Why, God can give, God taketh away. God uses the hand of man to do his will. He said, leave the rest of the substance to the babes. As for me, and thank God we can close our psalm with, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Oh, to be satisfied with the likeness of the Lord. To be satisfied with his likeness when we awake that day of resurrection, rather than be Be satisfied with the affairs of life and the pleasures of life and the pleasures of sin, but all to be satisfied with his likeness. And can I say to you, my friend, my desire today, I believe I can be honest about it. My desire is to be satisfied with his likeness. My desire is to be satisfied with him, not the affairs of life, not the pleasures of sin, but to be satisfied with the Lord himself. But always remember this, it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Are you satisfied where God has you? This summarizes Psalm 17. What a treasure amongst the Psalms. There is a lost soul who is tired of his sinning And he longs to return to the Lord As he cries for forgiveness and mercy Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glory song of the